0: somewhere between 50 and 60% of people do not have good plans in place. Or there are plans that are out of date that need to be brought up to speed. You don't have to retire. I'm not trying to guilt anybody into thinking they need to retire. Knock yourself out. Go work as long as you want to. I mean, most of you don't then want to consider the the asset division plan or the estate plan. And that's, a mistake. that's where your mistakes coming in. I think most people would assume that when they get done, when they're when they're gone when they've lived life's journey that their family still gets along and so i think that the most obvious reason to me to have a plan in place is to make sure you have it planned out for your family so that the family doesn't argue or fight or disagree because it's happening it happens all the time on this episode of
1: nebraska farmcast the importance of estate planning for farmers and ranchers in Nebraska, including things to watch out for, what exactly the process entails, and saving time and money in a lawyer's office. Right now on Nebraska Farmcast. Welcome to Nebraska Farmcast from the Extension Farm and Ranch Management Team in the Department of Agricultural Economics at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. I'm Ryan Evans, and I'm glad to be joined via video chat today by Alan Vinalek, a Nebraska Extension educator specializing in farm and ranch transition and succession. Alan, it's good to be with you.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me on. I kind of look forward to doing this.
1: Yeah, well, we're going to be talking a little bit today about estate planning for farmers and ranchers. And Alan, you talked to a lot of groups and individuals out there across Nebraska about farm and ranch transition and estate planning. And You've written that research shows that estate planning is often delayed until there has been a critical life event or a crisis. So let's start off with the seemingly obvious, but maybe most overlooked question, why is it important for farmers and ranchers to have a legal estate plan in place?
0: Well, the, there's legal. There's a legal side to that, and then there's the family side to it. And I, I almost think that the family side to that is more important. Uh, it's important to have a plan in place. And it's important to have these things kind of figured out for your family, because I think most people would assume that when they get done, when they're when they're gone, when they've lived life's journey that their family still gets along, that their family still will be a family, that they'll still get together on Easter and Christmas and those holidays that they tend to celebrate. And so I think that the most obvious reason to me to have a plan in place is to make sure you have it planned out for your family so that the family doesn't argue or fight or disagree because it's happening. It happens all the time to a certain percentage of the families. And so let's just avoid that by putting a plan in place, having it all set up, and uh, with, the, with the idea that our main goal is, when we get done with this thing, are we still gonna kind of have a family? And you would hope that the answer is always yes. Uh, and in and, and, and going back to the crisis thing, I, I think that the other reason we want to get a plan in place is because if we wait until there's a family crisis, then we have to do something. Like, for instance, I know one family that didn't have a plan in place for what's going to happen to their assets, what's going to happen to their farms, until the the, the patriarch of the family, the father of the grandpa in the family, comes down with mental dementia, Alzheimer's, if you will. And then the doctor goes, you've got about two months and I'll let you still sign off on any plans you want to put in place. After that, you're probably going to be too far gone with the dementia to be able to legally to sign for yourself. So that family had two months to get their plan in place. and And it worked out well for them. But I think that I think two things. Sometimes we don't even get two months. I think sometimes it just happens. It's just uh, really quick. Uh, You have a car accident, there's a brain aneurysm, there's a heart attack, and that family member's gone. And then you're putting your family under a lot of stress. And the, the point I would make is simply, I don't think that some of us do really well with stress and making decisions and thinking things through clearly. And so I think that that's the main reason we want to have a plan in place so we don't have to do it when there's that critical life event that creates that stress and families make poor decisions or, or tend to disagree because they're all stressed out with, uh, with the, uh, with the uh, catastrophe that just happened.
1: And we'll get to some of the reasons why this process can be delayed in a moment. But do you have an idea of how many farmers and ranchers actually have legal estate plans in place?
0: So while I don't have exact numbers, there's, I don't think there's been a research study done on that, especially not for Nebraska farmers and ranchers. I do know anecdotally from talking to people myself and in talking to lawyers that work with farmers, talking with bankers and other professionals that work with farmers, that's a short half, somewhere over 40%, somewhere between 40 and 50%. Well, that means somewhere between 50 and 60% of people do not have good plans in place, or their plans that are out of date that need to be brought up to speed. And so it's a short half that have a good plan in place. And so um, as long as that number is in place, or as long as those feelings are in place, uh, I'll have plenty to work on, I guess, but uh, we would like to encourage a higher percentage of people that have a, a, put a plan in place for their for their family and for their future. So when we're talking about estate planning here, we are obviously talking about a
1: legally binding document that holds weight. I'm wondering if you hear from many farmers and ranchers who might believe that they have something like more of a handshake estate plan in place, or maybe just an assumption that family will take care of things. And that there's really no need for an actual legal estate plan. What's your message to that approach?
0: Yeah, so, you know, the common comment you make from somebody that doesn't have a plan in place legally with the uh, wills, trusts, LLCs, all those kind of things, those, those legal uh, documents you use to make this all happen. What I hear from people that don't have that in place is they say, well, you know, it'll, it'll all work out. The kids know what I want them to have, have, and they're just going to get that and it'll be fine. I don't have to worry about doing a will. Uh, But the truth of the matter is, the legal side of the Nebraska law says that if you die without a will or without an estate plan in place, without proper documentation, you're going to die what the state of Nebraska calls intestate. And the intestate rules are very specific, and it very much says how things are going to be divided. And in some cases, that will not be what we want to have happen for that future of that farm, for the future of that family, and for the future of the other generations. And so... You, I think we have to do better than that. I think we better have a plan that we've controlled rather than the state law on intestate controls. Check with your lawyer about what that means because it's it's uh, something you better absolutely consider. Don't just die intestate without knowing what you're having happen to your stuff.
1: So it's sounding like maybe a majority of farmers and ranchers perhaps never really have plans to fully retire. Do you think that's the case?
0: In both a survey that I did and a survey that Iowa State did, it turns out that less than half the farmers plan to retire. In in the Nebraska survey we did about three years ago now, uh, two and a half years ago, I guess, uh, about 55 to 60 percent don't have plans to fully retire. They plan to slow down. They plan to to give up some ground, but they still plan to farm at least something. The Iowa State survey said full full retirement was only about uh, 20 percent of the farmers, 78% Seventy-eight percent said that they're only going to partially retire or not retire at all. So uh, farmers just don't ever plan to get out of the cab. I think that they just plan to keep going, um, and uh, so I, I think that's that's the telling part of that survey. So my point is simply to, to when I give my lessons to the to the public is just simply say, or to the when I do these meetings, is I just simply say, listen. Um, you don't have to retire. I'm not trying to guilt anybody into thinking they need to retire. I'm not trying to make beat anybody over the head. To think, hey, put a plan in place. You got to retire. No, knock yourself out. Go work as long as you want to. Please keep going. Uh, if you feel like it and that's what you want to do, please just do it. But I do, will tell you this: I mean, most of you don't then want to consider the the asset division plan or the estate plan, and that's a mistake. That's where your mistake's coming in because. As near as I can be able to tell, and I'm kind of joking when I say this, as near as I can tell, everybody's, no, one has been, no one has been able to avoid the grave. Everyone ends up at their demise. Everybody ends up dead. And so I, that's the blunt way to say it. And so you better have a plan for your assets when you do go. And uh, for some people, the timing is bad. In other words, you go before you plan to. So that's why we should have an estate plan in place, because we don't get to avoid that. Please don't retire, but please have an estate plan in place.
1: When it comes to estate planning and the delays that one might encounter in that process, you often cite a model called the circle of inaction. Talk about that.
0: Yeah, so I've, I've talked to lawyers about this. I'm not just, I'm just, I didn't just make this up myself. Um, I, I talk to people about this. And this circle of inaction thing is, is a real deal. Uh, so it essentially says, you know, you, you, you put yourself into kind of a circle. It says, I should have, a step number one says, I should have a plan. And then you go around a the circle. Then step number two says, I should go to a meeting or meet with a lawyer. A lot of people will get that far. I should have a plan. I should go meet with a meeting, a lawyer, a meet, go to a meeting or meet with a lawyer. A lot of people will get that done. And then after that, they get to step number three, which says, wow, this is complicated. It's, it's giving me a headache. I don't want to think about death. I don't want to think about doing this. And so they go on to step number four, which is take no action at this time. And so the scary part here is that you'll sit in that step number four, take no action at this time for something like, uh, I don't know, three months to three years. I mean, it can be forever. How do I know about the circle of inaction? Because it happened to me too. I, I knew that I needed to update my estate plan when I started doing these workshops about 10 years ago. And I put it off to about five, I put it off for about five years to getting the estate plan updated because I had the original, I had the original, um, will in place with my wife and it said uh, it was i love you will if i'm if i'm gone honey all my stuff goes to you and if you're gone all your stuff comes to me it was i love you will and it also provided for our children who are minors at the time that we wrote that original will and says if we're both gone if we both get uh, uh, taken out with a car accident or something like that here's who we want to have take care of the kids here's who we put in the guardians for the children and so we that was that original will and now that you've started to accumulate more stuff and your children are growing and gone and adults, you get rid of that language. You put it, you got farms and other assets and thousands or millions of dollars worth of stuff to deal with. Now you need to rewrite that so that you could control all those assets and things like that. So um, that's, but I was putting it off. I put it off for three to five years. And so that's the circle of inaction, why you want to get out of it. And uh, how do you, you know, you have to think carefully about how you go forward. It sounds like one of the reasons people might get stuck
1: in this circle of inaction is because they're surprised at how long the process of estate planning takes. So what do you usually tell people to expect in terms of estate planning from beginning to end? How long does that take?
0: Well, you're you're not going to get a will done with a lawyer or anybody like that in three days and probably not even three weeks. But you can certainly get a will done in three to six months. And so I would encourage people just kind of keep moving the process forward. And, and, you know, the first thing you have to do is you have to kind of make an inventory of what you have. And that includes not only all your land assets and what it's worth, but all your, um, if you're a farmer, all your machinery assets and what that's worth, your home content, what the contents are worth, your vehicles, what they're worth. You have to really put together a big balance sheet. Basically, it's a big uh, balance sheet. This is what I have. um, And uh, this is what I, I, this is what it's worth. And this is what I still owe on it. And then kind of come up with a, a kind of a net worth. And you'd be shocked how big that number can get. And I think you have to put realistic numbers to some of that. I mean, don't put down um, that you have a, a farm that's worth $10,000 an acre. I don't think they're selling that high anymore in most neighborhoods in Nebraska. So you put down a realistic number, maybe five or six or a thousand or eight thousand, whatever those numbers are. Put those realistic numbers in. And get that balance sheet put together and take that, get all that put together before you go see a lawyer. Then going to the lawyer becomes a little bit more less stressful. If you go to a lawyer and say, Hey, would you help me with an estate plan? They're going to say, Sure, we'll help you with an estate plan. And then they're going to start asking you, What do you have? And they'll start asking those balance sheet questions. And the whole time you're sitting there answering all those questions about what you have and what it's worth and all those kinds of things, how much you left to pay on it. Uh, the, 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 their meter is running and you're, you're going to pay between two and $400 an hour for a lawyer time. So you get that done ahead of time. You'll save yourself an hour or two with a lawyer, maybe three, and you save yourself quite a bit of money. Uh, so, uh, uh, those are the things I think about that, that can be done and, and thought about, and, and it ke- keeps you from getting stuck. And the other, thing, the other thing, the other reason people get stuck with a lawyer is because when they go talk to a lawyer, he's going to talk in legalese. He's going to talk about estates and probates and wills and trusts and LLCs and all the vehicles and tools you can use. And I, I think that sometimes lawyers do us a disservice because they don't talk in plain English. And if, if you have a lawyer that's confusing you, maybe you go find a different lawyer. Uh, Maybe you don't. Maybe this lawyer is really competent, but maybe you do. Maybe you find somebody that's competent and can talk to you in in your English so that you understand what's going on or make sure they take the time to explain to you what's going on. I think that's important, too. So uh, those are the things I think about. I think those are the things that kind of contribute to this uh, idea that we don't get the the work done. But certainly a a three to six month window would get uh, most of the planning done for an estate plan.
1: We're talking about estate planning today with Alan Vinalek from the Department of Agricultural Economics at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. He is an extension educator specializing in farm and ranch transition and succession. I'm Ryan Evans from the Department of Agricultural Economics as well. And Alan, you sit down, you come up with these lists, you meet with an attorney. What are some other steps people can expect to take in the estate planning process?
0: Uh, Sure. So I would... uh, (laughs) So this is when it gets, this is when it gets interesting because quite honestly, I probably would consider uh, before I put my estate plan together, I would probably consider talking to my children and make sure that they 're on board with what i 'm planning to do and make sure that they think that i 've treated them um, adequately or fairly. I, I think that and i, I don 't think yeah adequately and fairly fairly is the correct way to say that because i don 't think we worry about equals sometimes. I think if we have a on farm kid coming back to the farm. Uh, we have to maybe consider something different than uh, absolutely equal because that's probably not equitable to the on-farm kid that put his sweat equity into that operation for all those years. So uh, some kind of a family gathering, family meeting, family, family discussion uh, can and should probably take place, and it should probably be um, done in a way that um, makes sense for everyone. And, uh, and, and, uh, and I, I think that the thing about the family meeting that I would consider very carefully is that you're going to hold a family meeting not to get decisions. Uh, Mom and dad, grandpa and grandma, the patriarchs and matriarchs are going to make those decisions. That's the decision makers. But what you're going to do is you want to have a family meeting so everybody can give input. I think uh, the main thing for a family is that everybody feels like they've had a chance to give input, that they feel like they're a part of a family. And so if we would just get those, those families to have a meeting where they all get to give input, no decision making, just input, and allowed everybody to make, give input, everybody have their own idea. Then, then I think everybody's feel like they contributed, they've got to say what they wanted to say, all those kinds of things. And then then mom, dad, grandpa, and grandma, whoever the decision makers are, can take that input and make a decision for what's, what they think is best, given everybody's input. I think sometimes grandpa and grandma or mom and dad make decisions without getting people's input, and then people are disappointed with the outcome. But at least if if everybody would hear what everybody's thinking and if, you know even if mom and dad would share what they're kind of thinking in some kind of a family gathering I think that that would help relieve some of the stress that goes into to some of that uh, um end of life uh, stuff that goes on
1: Earlier you talked about finding the right fit in a lawyer and making sure that they speak in terms that you can understand I'm kind of wondering about the flip side of that and making sure that you speak in terms that they understand as well. There are so many nuances when it comes to comparing ag and non-ag estates and businesses. And I'm wondering because estate planning laws are generally not much different between ag and non-ag businesses. So are estate planning lawyers one size fits all for all businesses, whether ag or non-ag?
0: uh no as a matter of fact you better you better care consider carefully a couple things okay a couple when i to talk about lawyers and, and, and that sort of thing i think there are a couple things to probably keep in mind one is one is uh um not only do you need to have this list of stuff that you have this good balance sheet that i described earlier i think you also need to probably have a conversation about what you're going to do with stuff after you have the family discussion then you have to have a conversation okay this is what we want to do so when you go see that lawyer initially not only do you have a list of all your stuff you have a list of Here's, here's what we'd like to have happen. In utopia, this would be our perfect way to make this happen, to make the thing going on. And then a the lawyer, if it's a good lawyer and the lawyer is listening to you, will try and fit the tool to what you want to have happen. It might be a will and an LLC, it might be a will and a trust. We don't know what those tools are going to be, but those are just tools to make the, the, the effort happen. And so you if for a good for a good um, attorney it's going to take the information you give them and apply the correct tool to that to make that happen. Now, I think that there's some other things you can consider when you go to go see an attorney. I think that you probably can interview them for a little bit and find out what they specialize in. I know some ag attorneys that will really work hard on doing wills and trusts, and I know other ag attorneys that will really work hard on doing wills and LLCs. And so you you have to think that through a little bit and maybe ahead of time read a little bit about trusts, really read a little bit about LLCs, and see which kind of attorney you're going to want to go to. A good attorney will be able to do both, but also just make sure that attorney has done ag cases before, especially the size of farm that you have. I think that helps. And I, I think there's some other peer professionals you can consider to be a part of this team. I think not only should attorney be a part of this end-of-life stuff, I think that financial planners have play a role, I think insurance people play a role, and I think even clergy or an ag banker might play a role. So you you could consider other people to have conversations with and figure out what's going to happen there and help you figure out what's going to happen and help to help you have that discussion so you have a good input from a variety of sources maybe rather than just maybe just the attorney so they to understand too that if you go see an insurance person what's he going to try and sell you as a part of your uh, end of life package he's going to try and sell you some kind of insurance probably a life insurance policy if you go see a financial planner what are they going to try and do they're going to try and sell you some kind of annuity or other investment to 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 help out with the with the transition of your assets uh, if you go see a um you know so it depends on who you go see you know your, your cpa can also be a part of this discussion but what's the cpa going to do the cpa is going to try and get your taxes as low as possible so you have to think through though all those things as you go forward uh, and make sure that and I think maybe at one time one time or another, you have to actually get all these people in the room at the same time, your attorney, your cPA your, your all the, and make sure they're on the same page because I've heard, of, I've heard of some situations where trusts were put together for a nonprofit to get some of the assets. but then at the end of the day, the, the, the attorney that put together the trust. To have that happen, never worked with the financial planner who had the control of that asset, and it never the trust never got funded. And so then, when it was time for that trust to go to the to the, or that that equity or that that asset to go to the nonprofit, the, there was nothing in the, there was nothing in the trust because it never got put in. So I think we have to be careful about just little things like that and make sure that all the parties are talking to each other.
1: So Alan, how can people find you and where can they go to find information on estate planning and your work in farm succession?
0: So the, the main way you can get a, hold of, uh, get a hold of my resources, which I've added several here during the, the, during the downtime or the, the away from the office time, I've written at least three articles on my webpage, is to go to, to the webpage called agiconunledu slash succession. I'll repeat that, a g slash succession. That goes to my page. And not only do I have all the articles there that have been written by myself and Dave Aiken, our, our staff attorney, uh, I also have a, a video series there that it does about two to two and a half hours of my uh, one of my re- more recent meetings just late last fall in uh in weeping water and that's down or you and you helped me break that down into 12 segments and so people can just watch a segment at a time eight to ten 12 minute segments short segments you can watch and pick up a different topic and, and some of the topics we covered in this podcast and some of the topics are on the website so i encourage people to go to that website ag slash succession or call me up um call 402 472 one seven seven one. I'll be glad to visit with you or get you some. Um, if you don't have access to a computer or web, call me. Tell me what you want. I'll print it for you, mail it to you, I'll email it to you. Whatever you want, however you want me to handle that, we'll 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 come up with a plan. Or I can come meet with you. We'll we'll figure out something after after we're allowed to meet. I can come meet with people. So if you got questions, let me know. I'll be glad to help. That's Alan Vanolic, a Nebraska
1: Extension educator for farm and ranch transition and succession. This has been Nebraska FarmCast, a production of the Extension Farm and Ranch Management Team in the Department of Agricultural Economics at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. For decision-making tools, articles, podcasts, videos, and more, visit us online at farm.unl.edu. I'm Ryan Evans. Thanks for listening.